Telecast. Hi, I'm Justin Crosby and welcome to another Telecast. Social media superstars, the Sidemen, have launched an amazing array of new products in the past few years, from chicken restaurants to trading cards, hotels to vodka brands. And now they have their own Netflix documentary. My guest this week is Luke Hyams, former YouTube Originals EMEA boss and now co-founder of Indie Pangea, who have just produced the Netflix documentary, The Sidemen Story, which is out now in the UK. Welcome back to Telecast Luke. Thank you very much for having me back, Justin. Lovely to see you again. And thank you for that intro. Not at all. Not at all. Well, it's been, I think we said about 18 months since we last spoke. Back in the dark days of lockdown, a uh, lot of water under the bridge, a lot of change, and lots of things that I'm sure you've seen, you know, changes to the industry. And we'll, we'll talk a little bit about those. But um, to begin with, let's recap about your career today, because you've had a long and storied career in digital and TV and content production and working for YouTube as the EMEA Originals boss. So just take us briefly through your career to date for those who don't know you. Okay, well, well, my career starts when I was 14 years old. I am the like only person in post-war Britain to be expelled from school for shooting a teacher with a pea shooter. That's my claim. And and <laughs> Is that true? That is actually true. I mean, the actual, the truth of it is that I actually shot him with a pellet gun, but they found the pea shooter in my bag. It was a giant novelty one. And so I was marched off to the headmistress's office, and that was the reason why I got expelled. And from there, I just... I got to say, I've just had the, one of the most incredibly lucky journeys ever since. I've fallen into some incredible things with some incredible people. Like, I always love to tell the story of like, it was literally just in like a movie. I was expelled on a Thursday. I went and I sat down in front of the TV like I did on Saturday night, like just starting to realize, oh my God, what am I going to do with my life? And Challenge Annika came on. And it was the story of this incredible place called YCTV, which was like a youth club with cameras that had been built in Labrick Grove, like a mile from my house by this amazing woman named Sabrina Guinness to give young people between the age of like 13 and 19 the opportunity to learn different skills, uh, you know, to do with TV production. And I was just like, oh my God, it's amazing. So I, I went along there, thanks to a family friend. And, and was convinced I wanted to be a vision mixer. So I tried that out. It was a bit high pressure and stress and, and got to try lots of different things, got to edit. And, and the whole place was so unique because it was built around the fact that every Thursday we had to deliver a 30 minute SVHS tape to what was Videotron cable that became cable and wireless that became NTL that became Virgin. And I don't even know if it still exists, but we had to give them 30 minutes of original content every week and it was stuff that everyone in the neighborhood could see so they would like say stuff to us about you know are you doing repeats or it's, it's not as good as it used to be and so that was the sort of formative thing doing that every week for like five years and I think that's why one of the reasons why when I started to work with YouTubers many years later on I really understood the pressure that they were under to constantly have to deliver a new video every week because of what we'd done at YCTV. All right. And so that got you into the business of content production. And and you then went forward to work in different production companies. Tell us, give us a whistle-stop tour up till well, now. Well, then. well, the whistle-stop tour is um, <laughs> basically one day early on in the time at YCTV, Alan Yentog came to visit. 
And me being like, um, you know, 14 and, you know, full of uh, cheek, I was like, I asked him two big questions. I was like, number one, when is Doctor Who coming back on the TV? Like as a massive nerd. And he was like, oh, it would cost a million an episode like Star Trek The Next Generation. We'll never be able to do it. You better just forget about that, which is hilarious thinking about where we ended up. And then the second question I asked is, will we one day have a show, us, this youth club in Labrador Gove, will we one day have a show on on your channel, on BBC TV? He was the director of programming at the time. He was just like, no, it's never going to happen. And therein lay like the gauntlet was laid down for all of us as young people there of what we were going to try and do at YCTV. We were going to get a show on the BBC come hell or high water. And so five years later, we, we came up with an idea along the way through what we were doing called Pass the Mic. It was a chat show where the guests choose the next guest. A nightmare to produce and plan, like absolutely crazy. We made five pilots and we eventually managed to get it on TV. And you know what? What's actually hilarious is in the process of me trying to get that commissioned, I actually got faced like minor disciplinary action for for allegedly stalking one of your previous guests. Really? Yeah. Which one? Which one was the previous guest? Can so, you can you mention them? I, I mean, I can. It's a terrible story, but I I definitely was not stalking this person, and you know, I just I was doing work experience at the BBC, and it just occurred to me if I just have you know it used to be a ring you know. The, the offices used to be a BBC a TV centre. Centre. Yeah, I was like, okay, if I go up to the sixth floor where all the bosses are, and I just walk around in a circle, sooner or later Jane Root will come out and go to the toilet, and she did. And I said, hey Jane, did you watch our latest tape? And she said, what are you doing here? And I was like, um, I don't know. I'll see you soon. And then after, it was like, what are you doing? Why are you stalking Jane Root? But. She got over the stalking incident. We managed to get four episodes on 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 BBC, on BBC Two. Was not a great show, really, because we as 20-year-olds were in charge and we didn't have a clue really what we were doing. But it was a, a great sense of achievement and it was a great way to sort of cap off that YCTV experience. Oh, it's an amazing achievement. Yeah, it was, yeah, I mean, you should see the show. I mean, maybe you say, say something, the, the lunatics were in charge of the asylum. Oh, God. <laughs> Um, but yeah, that was, and then from there, I went on and I worked, I did, I did, where did I go? I, I didn't, I was a presenter back then. That was what I thought the deal was. And I went and I, um, um, hosted some BBC bite size revision stuff, you know, some shows. And I just became very frustrated very quickly with the role of a presenter back then. I mean, really, you know, the director would interview everybody and I would just go and like, do noddies against an empty room and you know and i i had had so much creative control at yctv uh, and if that was what presenting was going to be i realized i wanted to write and direct so that was sort of you know these these moments that storm you on and then and then that's really sort of where my career went from there you know I, i've done a few different shows i did one show called the hidden city another show called dub plate drama another one called kate modern and then became a sort of a guy who who really did you know interactive shows and this was you know i spent the better half of half a decade being in great development talks you know meaningful development with all of the channels with these like digital shows that in the end most of them never actually happened because it just back then was too soon and there was always the thing of let's put 
the money on the screen rather than put it on channel4.com or you know these or on a, on a micro site so that was the kind of journey but through that being the digital guy i got to work with youtubers quite early which kind of let led on to the second act of my career which was at youtube originals as uh, best uh, boss of originals tell us about your time there how long were you there and and what was it like i was there for four and a half years and I got to say it was a surprise at first in a lot of ways. I was coming from Disney. I'd worked at Disney for a few years. And at Disney, they value ideas and they value creativity and and you know, someone like me who's all about story, you know, I, a bit, I was people were very receptive at Disney because there were lots of people like me and it was what went on. And I thought, okay, big American corporation, let's jump from to YouTube Hey, it's a big American corporation. I don't know what to expect here. I just done a few years at Disney. It'll be fine. And I got there and I was like, wow, a technology company is so incredibly different. If you think about like even the building we were in, it was the top floor was like search. Then it was Android and then it was DeepMind and ding, 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 ding. All the way down to like the bottom floor was YouTube. And then one small part of YouTube was this experiment, YouTube Originals. And so... It was like, you know, it, it was a real sort of change of priority and focus. You know, so much of of the way that I spoke and the way that I worked with people had to be sort of, you know, reconfigured to speak tech language and to be able to like work with people who were the decision makers of, of whether my shows got made and realizing that it was much more about data and about what the show was saying about YouTube's place in Britain or the world. You know, and it wasn't just about, hey, this is a great idea or, hey, this is great talent. So that was a, there was a little bit of transition at first. But then after that, man, I, I, I just feel like it was a university experience. Like, as I just said, I, I never went to university. I went to Google for four and a half years. I learned so much, Justin, you would never imagine. Like, it, the position, like for me, who's like a budding program maker, you know, to sit there and literally the best producers that we've ever produced in our country would come in and pitch me their best ideas and working with them, the amount of things that I picked up from all of these different people, it was like, it was the most privileged position. And then at the same time, like when I thought about it the other day, we invested like over a hundred million dollars in the British TV and creative community over that four and a half years. And to just be a part of that and to be like, a part of, you know, the early days of, of people like Manya Chihuahua's career, who one day will win an Oscar. You know what I mean? Like those type of things that just, it, it was just a really, really terrific experience, you know, and I, I am so lucky to have had that. And obviously you came into contact with the Sidemen at that point, and we'll, we'll come on and talk about them in a, in a second. But tell us about Pangea then, uh, the production business that you founded with your wife, is that yeah, right? Yeah, that's right. So what's the ambition around Pangea? Well, to understand the ambition, I have to tell you about where it, where it began, right? And, and like so many of the great things of our time, like it actually began in lockdown, you know, around the same time that you and I were, were doing our interview. YouTube is an incredible experience, but there was one frustration for me. And that frustration was that, you know, in terms of data and algorithm, we, we were only able to work with people who already had established followings on YouTube. I couldn't just say, hey, I saw this great comedian at Edinburgh. 
Let's build a format around them and see if it works. Because it had to be going on a channel that people thought would be a success. And so while I love everything about YouTube, that was a little bit of a frustration. And I remember, you know, around the time we did our last interview, I was in like one room and my wife, who's a producer, Sunita Mochandani, who I worked with for many, many years before any romance evolved. Um, and I, and, and she was basically, you know, getting back into producing and she, I'd be listening, I'd be doing my stuff on YouTube and I'd be listening in the next room. And she basically would be having these really exciting conversations with new emerging directors, new emerging writers, new emerging online, you know, personalities. And they'd be doing all these like fun shoots and stuff that was like much more back to the sort of YCTV early days of lo a lot less stress and occasionally sorry, Google, I would like take a day off and I'd go and like work with them on, on some of the smaller stuff they were doing and really like, again, get to learn from all of these directors who were like supposed to be emerging, but had new ways of doing things. And so she was doing all that. And then, and I started to become a little bit envious of the fun that she was having. And then gradually, you know, YouTube originals decided it wasn't going to be a thing anymore, which was very sad at the time. But at the same time, it's nice to get a boot in the bottom every now and again to push you onto the next thing. And so, you know, I thought, what am I going to do next? I was like, yo, let me just roll with you. Let, let's work together. You got some great programs going already. I'm like, wow, okay, this is, this is good. And you know, the other thing, Justin, about that is because some people go, oh my God, you're working with your wife. And it's like, okay, well, first of all, we worked together for years before, as I say, anything went down in a, in a, in a romantic sense. And, and she's an amazing producer. And, 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 and latterly, you know, I, I think with, with a new company, if I was to go out and do the hours that I'm doing, like outside of the home, I think she'd have, it'd be quite difficult for her to, um, to understand, you know, how much time we were spending apart, like the hours that you have to put into a business to get going in Britain today are such that to do it with her means that we're all in this together and, um, and, and honestly, you know, she's, uh, she's like such a great kind of opposite side of the coin in terms of create creativity and, 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 and decision-making and stuff. I, she can basically make decisions unlike me who will bumble along forever. So it's just one of those natural things in life, Justin, that you just kind of flow into. And how was your experience that you described as boss of YouTube originals and all of those amazing production companies that were pitching to you, all the analytics and data and algorithmic information that you picked up on the tech side, how has all of that informed where you go with Pangea now? I think that in terms of business, that experience told me that there were two types of producers in the world. There's one type of producer that are just basically salespeople. And there's another type of producers of production companies who are incredibly inherently creative people so that when something goes wrong, they can roll up their sleeves, get involved, and they know what to do. You know, we had a few times with where I'd work with one or the other, and you come to a point with the salespeople where, you know, you have to figure it out yourself. Whereas the production companies that would be steered by inherently creative people would always fix it before I could even hear of it. So that was one of the big kind of, you know, what type of business do I want to be lessons. And then the, the second lesson was just about, you know, new talent, you know, there just really was that, 
feeling now that we live in this incredible gatekeeperless age where people who have a passion can follow that passion, take it online, jump on TikTok, jump on YouTube and express themselves and really put themselves out there in a way that is is admirable and is on their terms. And so, you know, what I kind of learned in, you know, I don't know how much I learned algorithmically, but I, I, I learned that, you know, the, you know, the cream rises to the top in terms of the talent that you find online. And that there are some really incredible people out there to collaborate with on their terms. And so we've seen digital, digital first, uh, sector and the TV industry, they're both having their challenges in different ways. A lot of it's down to advertising of, overall, I guess. But but we're seeing a lot of shifts, but we're also seeing a lot of convergence now. We're seeing the sidemen coming onto Netflix, and we'll talk again, we'll talk about that in a second. But we see Mr. Beast allegedly coming to Amazon Prime with the new series. Can't confirm or deny because I don't know. That's right. Well, um, but but there's there's lots of other formats that are starting to get picked up by uh, by traditional TV businesses, we're seeing a lot of investment from traditional media groups going into digital first businesses. How do you see things going in the next couple of years then? Let's not look any further than that because it's impossible, right? But when it comes to digital first and traditional TV, because you've set up a new content production business, are you going down the digital first route or are you producing content and, and new ideas to pitch to networks or are you about IP, tell me, tell me where you're going with Pangea. I mean, Justin, my, my Pangea crystal, uh, crystal ball barely works for two weeks in the in the future, let alone two years. I think you know. I think for us, the focus is is twofold, right? It's it's firstly trying to break some new, really exciting talent, and and secondly, it's working with some really established talent that have unique stories to tell, potentially on different platforms. You know, so with the Sidemen story, they have crafted such an incredible lane themselves on YouTube. They have refined what they've done over a decade to really just hit the mark with what their specific audience in their millions around the world really love. But at the same time, you know, I sort of looked at that and I thought, okay, what they do, because at YouTube Originals, we tried, I, I got there halfway through it being produced. They tried to make a more conventional show with the Sidemen much earlier. And it didn't work as much as their original, you know, you know, what they already do on YouTube. And in fact, that experience spurned them on to become more professional and uh, be more sort of adamant about the style of content that they create. So they're fine in their own lane, but at the same time, you know, we said before we came on, like there is a whole world of people out there who have vaguely heard the name, but don't really understand who these people are. You know, like for instance, when I was shooting with them, if we walk down Oxford Street or another busy street, anyone over, sorry, anyone under 30 would, it would be just Beatlemania. Anyone over 30 would just walk by. This is normal guys. Oh, some cameras. What's going on there? Like it, it's a whole divide. And, and it, within that, I was like, whoa, there is a documentary to be made here. Firstly, as a kind of film of record of like the whole YouTube experience, how have these young people playing games in their bedroom managed to build these incredible fan bases, 
a couple of business empires and and still be regimented you know let's show that to the wider world via a platform like netflix who 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 don't really understand it and they can consume it in you know 90 minutes and and catch up with everybody so that was the kind of first thing and then the second thing was like if you know the side men my gosh like it is really an extraordinary story and I see why I personally think it's extraordinary, not just because they do everything on their terms and that's that, but why I think it's so incredibly extraordinary is because of the inner dynamics of the group. There, are, I don't want to spoil the movie, but hopefully people have been on Netflix already and checked it out, but every decision that they make is a vote between seven people, right? It can go one way or the other, right? There's, there's no leader, right? KSI isn't the leader. Zerka isn't the leader. They are all equal. They all vote on every decision and they progress forward, right? And and I think that's really, really, really unique. And I think, because if you look at like some of the other organizations, you know, like when I was coming up, so solid crew, (laughs) were like an incredible bunch of entrepreneurs who were getting their voices heard, but they had a leader, And I think, you know, sometimes when you've got somebody who is recognized as being the person that gives you the bread, it can build some kind of resentment either way, you know, allegedly. Same with Wu-Tang Clan, you know, Rizzo was the leader, but, you know, a lot of the other members, you know, they, they didn't feel like, you know, they felt lesser than because they weren't the leader. But with the Sidemen, it's an equal seven-way vote. And then beyond that, they have a red card, yellow card system. Whereas like, for example, if one of them is late for a shoot or misses a shoot, they could get a yellow or red card that would then result in them having to produce another video. So more than just their allotted monthly assignment of videos, they'd have to do even more work. So I think it's, I think it's really important that young people look at this and go, yeah, sidemen are amazing, but then watch this documentary and go, oh, that's why. It's because of the organizational structure and also the authenticity. It's a new management technique as well. That's uh, Democracy. Yeah. Take us inside what, you know, the experience of being with them and this sort of fandom that they have. I mean, honestly, Justin, it just, there were so many times where it just made filming more difficult. And, you know, I'm not going to point out specific scenes, but there are a load of scenes where I could have done with a wide shot or could have done with just everybody stopping and let's go out and round. But, you know, when we would arrive somewhere with them, it would just be crazy chaos and we would be lucky to get what we got, you know? But at the same time, my f- other favorite bit of doing this documentary was when we interviewed the fans. Uh, there's a great example within the, <laughs> the film, if you've seen it, where they host a charity match. And outside, we spent the morning there with fans. There were people that had come from Singapore, people that come from New Mexico, people that come from Northern Essex. There were people from all corners of the world. But what was so interesting was, you know, no matter they were old or young, they all had the same sort of ritual, which was a kind of appointment to view situation. And I can believe this because here we are led to believe that we live in a world where, yeah, digital catch it where you can. Justin, if I tell you, 40 people consecutively told me that they watch, they sit down with a takeaway every Sunday to watch the new Simon video at 6.30 p.m. Like literally one after the other, after the other, after the other. And it was so weird to see that in this age where like nothing is like my kids who are, you know, seven and five, 
Like they don't understand the idea of linear TV could even be a schedule. Thing. It's, it's, schedule. it's the re return of a schedule because it's appointment to view. Yeah, appointment to view, and they and they have, and also to credit to them, like when I was a kid, apart from The Simpsons, like Sun, and that was when we could afford Sky in later years. Like there was nothing going on on Sunday afternoon. You got to imagine Country File. You got to imagine songs of praise. Like it was a really dead time and also quite depressing because I knew I was going back to school the next day. So to have Sidemen Sunday to give me something to laugh at just before the end of the weekend, I, I think hats off to them in terms of, of how they scheduled it. So thinking about YouTube and which is the platform that has, has made the Sidemen so successful. Evan Shapiro at a Royal Television Society lecture a couple of weeks ago was really talking about the threat that YouTube poses to traditional TV. And there's almost the sense that a lot of the traditional TV industry is still going, it's not happening, it's not happening, you know, uh, we're carrying on doing our own, you know, our, our own style of business in our own way. Do you see it as a threat? I mean, I gotta be real with you. I was, I came to that lecture. I was quite surprised with what I heard, to be honest, just because it was like him standing on stage going, everyone's watching YouTube and Netflix and no one cares about anything else. I was like, okay, what this is, is this news to anyone? Like, have you not talked to a young person? Like, there's so much great work being done by the BBC and Channel 4, right? Never discredit anything they're doing. And everybody, you know, I could go through, I mean, I personally have things I love from every different broadcaster, but there is definitely a, a, a predominant vibe that Netflix and YouTube, particularly for young people, are the main kind of piece. And, and I felt like, I don't know, I felt like it was, you know, obviously I've worked at YouTube and now work with Netflix and stuff. So I sort of preaching to the converted, but I was very surprised at how that was, at that was positioned. But I tell you what I did, do you think it was a surprise to people in the audience? Do you think? I mean, again, Justin, it might have been a surprise to people who've been going like that. But, you know, it's, it's, it's the world that we've been living in for a little while, you know. But what I loved, love, love, loved from that lecture was his kind of period, pyramid, sorry, of, of mediums, right? It was a great bit where he like breaks out like how you can take a story and, or an IP or brand and work it, you know, from audio book, podcast, you know, advertiser funded video, premium video, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And that therein, I think, lies the key for, for the future of, of, of producers for IP over here in the UK and around the world. It's, it's stuff that, that actually can work on all these different platforms because then you can have a business. I mean, just look at Moonbug and Cocomelon. Yeah, and and that's how you're going to be going forward from a Pangea perspective. You're going to create IP, create great stories or great pieces of storytelling and tell them across different mediums, basically. That's where I'd love to get to. I think for the moment, for right now, as we start up, I think we have some great opportunities to tell some other people's stories. And I think as a, as a way of getting established, you know, for us to be able to come out with a few of the next projects we've got coming that are like, um, you know, very story driven and help us to look at maybe with a fresh perspective, something 
in the entertainment world that we've all lived through, like the Sidemen story. I mean, I think those are the sort of next steps. But beyond that, definitely, I'd like to fill up that pyramid. All right. And can we expect any personalities, any talent that are actually have been developing through social media that you'll be bringing to to these wider platforms? Is that sort of a focus of yours? I mean, absolutely. There's, there's some really great talent that we're working with from social media, some people that we're sort of, you know, developing actively and having a lot of fun doing it with. And then there are some more established talent. We're, we're working with Julie Adenuga, who is an incredible broadcaster who cut her teeth on on uh, on Beats One and has also worked with me previously at YouTube Originals and is just such a unique kind of voice, unique thinker. We're working with her on a brand new inter interview format that's going out online in the coming months. We're very excited about that. And yeah, just constantly keeping an eye on, on what's going on. We've, we've got a new music documentary we're going to announce soon. So hopefully I can bust my way back in here to, to talk about that one because boy, is that a story. Yeah, man, look, I think the most important thing is, you know, you know, we're trying to have a good time with what we do, but you can't ignore the fact that it's really difficult for a lot of people who are, are looking for a new direction. And, and you know, in terms of the important thing I want to put across is like, I, I have been there, you know, I, I felt like I was doing my best work and all of a sudden I didn't have a job anymore. And I can just, see, you know, see so many great and talented people going through the same thing. But what I will say is that you know, the old cliche that one door closes, another door opens. I mean, that that is a cliche because it is the truth. And I think, you know, people who are facing a hard time right now in terms of layoffs, you know, they are, they have really, really valid, valid experience. The industry is cyclical and they will get more opportunities as time goes on. All right. Well, uh, that's good advice. And a lot of this is about persistence, isn't it? It's about digging your heels in, staying at the table. Yeah, digging your heels in, staying at the table, looking for new ways to set the table. And yeah, it's it's hard work, but you know, there's uh it's a great industry we have. It's you know, pride of the nation. Our our entertainment travels all over the world. It, you know, I don't mean to be put my old YouTube hat on and talk too much about statistics, but just a, a little example was that some crazy statistic when I was on YouTube, like we are the, the UK is like the only channel and only country in the world where like 60% of the views for our YouTube channels come from outside of the UK. Like we export such great creativity on YouTube that it's so much. And that's like the only channel, a country in the world that has that sort of um, impact where we're more popular elsewhere around the world. You know, we're punching above our weight on YouTube. And I think that, starts on YouTube and, and really is reflected all across the creative industry over here. That's right. That's really interesting, actually. I wasn't aware of that stat, but um, it makes perfect sense. I think the country is always punched above its weight, as, as, as you say, above its weight when it comes to creativity, in particular uh, video production and TV production and film production. So hopefully uh, that's something that will carry on. Luke, thank you so much for coming on Telecast again. It's been fantastic to hear about your new business. Best of luck with the Sidemen story on Netflix. Luke, thank you so much for coming on Telecast and we'll see you very soon. Best of luck for everything. Thank you. Well, that's it for this week's show. As ever, thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. You can check out video versions of all of our recent shows on our YouTube channel, Telecast TV. Just search Telecast on YouTube and click subscribe. Telecast was produced by Spirit Studios and recorded in London. We'll be back next week with another telecast. Until then, stay safe.